At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson. And on this edition, we are joined by Ron Hicks, pastor of Henderson Memorial Baptist Church. Ron, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. We're located, when we say Henderson Memorial, everybody thinks Henderson, Kentucky, but we're actually actually located in in Hopkinsville. Far West Kentucky, probably it's an hour and a half south of Henderson. (laughs) It is a beautiful part of the state. It really is. Ron has been a dear friend and brother for years. And I so appreciate you being able to come onto the program and for us just to freely talk about whatever issue is at hand, yeah. I feel a freedom when I'm able to talk with you. And I say all this because it seems like we've lost the art of conversation we have. in our culture today. We have. Yeah. Well, there for a while, the most popular medium limited your words to, what, 126 yeah. you know, characters? 140, or I think. Yeah. Tw- and, yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, we have lost. Do you do you know even just and before we get into our topic, because this is the topic. Do you know that there is marriage counseling therapy right now that starts with the couple back to back, and they're typing on a screen the things that they want to say to each other. Really. Then gradually they turn them around to each other yeah. to type on the screen. Then they move to typing it and then reading it, and then they remove the screen to gradually introduce them to face to face conversation. Wow. Because many times people hide behind a screen or behind a phone. Yeah. You can say anything you want to. Yes, you can. Now, when I was growing up, if you called me names to my face, guess what? We were rolling. Yeah. You know, we're throwing yeah. hands, whatever, you know. <laughs> what, and and that, that was before you were worried about getting stabbed or shot or, yeah. you know, and all yeah. that. Now, now, Big Brothers was the was the drive-by shooting back then. Yeah. Your brothers yeah. are coming. But but you yeah. realize there was consequences to your words. Yeah. Now, there are none. You can just hide behind yeah. a screen. And so you can pour your heart out to somebody. Yeah. And they can say, oh, I really know them. But now, face-to-face, you can't say those same things. That's right. And so, and so they get together and they're like, oh, this isn't the person I thought it was. So, do you know, so related to this is there was a, a study by the Nielsen uh, Rating Agency, and they found, they did a survey in 2019, found that the average American spends about 11 hours of screen time mm-hmm. a day. So, whether it's on your phone or your iPad or television, your computer, 11 hours. And, Ron, when we are spending so much time on our devices, we have less face-to-face time, less yes. human-to-human interaction, which uh, you can't do that when you when you have a screen separating you. You tend to be braver behind the screen. Sure. You're separated from that person. You'll say things. You don't have the filter, right? <laughs> right. You, now I'm laughing because if you were seeing us right now, both of us are sitting in front of our computer screen, but and we're we're looking down you occasionally to, to follow. Yeah. Well, but we're these are we're, yeah. we're we're eyeball to eyeball. Yeah, that's right. And most of the conversations yeah. you and I have, we don't have yeah. one of these things, but right. we want to be good stewards of, of the listeners' times. That's right. So we so we uh, we do have notes, and we are yeah, using screens. Yeah, so full yeah. disclosure, so we are using yeah. screens here. <laughs> but 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 they don't control our day. That's right. They don't control our day. I, and that's something, by the way, I've got to fight against to monitor how much time I'm spending sure. on my phone, whether it's the text messaging. Social media really can be a drain. Oh, yeah. That's something that um, uh, we've got to guard ourselves against. But I think I find myself to be healthier and happier if I minimize my screen time. You know, this may be a good point to segue when you're talking about controlling. Um, sometimes we allow inanimate objects to control us. Sometimes we allow people or yeah. systems yeah. to control us. Yeah. 
in in the Democratic Party right now, and uh, in, in, uh, of oh, of the 117 um, candidates who are wanting to be the president of the Democratic, <laughs> I, I, it's not that many. I'm, I'm being facetious. Cl- it was close to 20 at one time. The, one of yeah. the leading, uh, or by his own confession, yeah. the leading yeah. presidential candidate yeah. for the Democratic Party, says his idea of a good government is that they control just about every single private sector entity because. Well, they wouldn't say it this way, but their rationale is we are far superior in knowing what it is that you need than you do. Yeah. So you work, give us your money, and then we'll can, we'll dole back to you yeah. the, the benefits because it, you're not you're not smart enough to do that yourself. Yeah. And, of course, you're referring to Bernie Sanders, who is the leading Democratic nomination nominee for president. Uh, Sanders is a self-avowed national socialist, and I think he would put it in a little different, a few oh, yeah, different terms. Would, yeah. You know, he wouldn't come across and say, we know better and we're going to be do a better job at this. Uh, you know, he talks about helping people. He talks about making sure everybody has health care access, giving everybody an education that wants a college education, uh, making sure everybody that wants a job will get a job. Uh, and this, of course, is because the policies would change at the national level if he's president. You know, th- th- we'd become a more socialist nation, not a free market, democratic republic type nation that we are. Uh, and of course, when we talk about free market, we're talking about the economy. Democratic Republic is the political structure that we have. Do you believe, Richard, <clears throat> that every single American deserves a college education? Uh, the answer is no. This is not the politically correct answer. But when you use the word deserve, it means that you have something that's owed to you. Right. And that I, somebody that else yeah. owes it to you. Right. And in that respect, I would say no. Do I wish that more Americans would have a college education? Yes. I think you believe they have the right to higher education, that, that ever, nobody should be blocked from pursuing yeah. higher education. I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a right in the sense that you have the right to free speech, right, the right, right to assemble, the right to worship the creator according to your conscience. I don't think it's a right in that sense. Uh, the way it's used today in the democratic debates is that everybody has a right to go to college if they want to. But so what you and I would whether say whether or not is, they can pay for it, right? And that's everyone should have access to college, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's whether they can pay for it or not. Um, I have wanted a Harley Davidson motorcycle my whole life, mm-hmm. my whole life. I got to the point where I was able to buy one. I sold a house. Yeah. We're getting ready to move, yeah. and I'd finally made enough money to buy one. Yeah. And a mission trip opportunity came up to Africa. Yeah. And my son, who's an old man now, <laughs> if he hears this program, um, uh, was nineteen at the time, and we had talked ever since he was a little boy about going to Africa. Yeah. And so I took my Harley Davidson money and I took him on a trip to Africa. Um, there uh, on the team with us was a pretty, pretty little girl who has been his wife for the, ne- for the oh. last 15 years, wow. um, 17 years. I don't know. Good gracious. It's so long. Uh, two beautiful children from that yeah. relationship. Yeah. Uh, I still want a Harley Davidson motorcycle. <laughs> uh, but um, I was able to decide how I could spend my money. I was able to decide. And through that, in God's providence, my grandchildren are part. Um, if somebody else was deciding that, I, I wouldn't have been able to take what, for me, it was a great deal of money, and take my son on a, on a mission trip. Yeah. Because the government would be deciding whether or not that, that would be an appropriate thing to do. Yeah. Anytime somebody says the government should pay for it, every single citizen needs to hear this. The government does not have money. That's right. The government prints money, That's but right. does not produce money. That's All right. the money that the government has comes out of the pockets of taxpayer dollars. So what they're actually saying is not free, 
but paid by those people who can afford to pay for themselves and others. That's right. Um, and, well, and Ron, it's a redistribution of wealth is what it is. Yes, yes. It's, it's the government. So what socialism is, and this is what Bernie Sanders, the leading Democratic nominee for president of the United States, uh, believes that the government should control the private sector of the economy. It should control the means of productions. Uh, it sh- should control the kind of services, including health care services. Uh, there should be uh, equal distribution of these things, health care, education, housing. It should be distributed equally across the board. And in order for this to happen, it takes confiscatory taxes. Ooh, good word. And it takes, that's right. I mean, that's the high taxes, in other words, right? Uh, on the creation of wealth. So yeah. income taxes or high property taxes if you have a big home, uh, high taxes on businesses, and the government is taking this in order to provide other goods and services programs really for for the citizenry. Let me ask you just a very basic question. Have you ever worked for, provided a service for somebody in return yeah. for money? Absolutely. Ever, well, I've run a small business okay. for years. Have you ever worked for somebody that was poorer than you. No. It's never. always somebody's got more money than always you somebody who can that afford has more, the services, right? And it's not just the resources, financial resources or buildings or tools or whatever, but it's somebody who put extra time into whatever they were doing. Right. They worked hard. They were good stewards of their resources. Right. There were other elements. It wasn't just money. It wasn't just the buildings and other things, but there were other intangibles. And that's one thing that I think socialism absolutely forgets about is that there are intangibles when it comes to the creation of wealth, when it comes to the incentive to work hard, when it comes to the incentive to save, they are not considering human nature. And in a few minutes, I want us to dig into the biblical view of the creation of wealth, the biblical view of what the best form of government is. You know, they'll say that. uh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to step on there, but um, uh, all ships rise with the tide. That's right. Whether it's a a cruise line or or a, a rowboat. Uh, as the tide rises, every ship rises with it. Yeah. What socialists say is, let's keep the tide from rising. Let's, let's, let's drain the pool to the lowest denominator, and then from there, equalize. Um, if the tide ain't rising, no ships are rising. Right. You know, why, 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 what's the incentive to get out and really bust hump as an entrepreneur yeah. and all the rest yeah. of that to try to become successful when you realize that somebody who does not have that desire um, is going to is going to benefit from your hard work. So human nature says, "Well, I, I'm then I'll let somebody else work hard. That's right, and I won't." And we were created in the garden for work. It wasn't called toil until That's after right. the fall of man. That's right. But but mankind was created and given a task, and one of that was to work, provide for family, and all the rest of that. Um, we've I've seen in the ministries many many times um, where people get used to the handout. Yeah, the capable people yeah. who are intelligent and could work. And they say, I wouldn't make as much money yeah. um, if, I, if I had a, a minimum wage job as I can by letting other people pay my bills. Yeah, I've heard that too. I've heard it called the golden handcuffs, right? You've yeah. got money, you've got a check coming in, or maybe food stamps coming in, housing provided for, and that keeps people there. But I would, I would say, Ron, that we're better than that. Yeah. As human beings, we are created for more. We're created to be productive. We're created to provide for a family if you're, if you're married. We're created to uh, do more with the gifts and talents. We're not to be dependent. Scripture says, do not be dependent on any, any man. I know that's a, 
we could probably make that say a lot of things that it's not. But I think that at the heart of that principle is that we should provide for ourselves when we are able to. And sometimes we can't. Sometimes there are health issues. Uh, Old age might prevent somebody from caring for themselves. But I want to throw this back at you, Ron. How do you respond to somebody who says, we believe the government has a biblical responsibility to care for the poor, provide for the needy, feed the hungry, give a home to the homeless. Uh, That's what the Bible says in Matthew 25. Jesus says, you know, when I was hungry, you fed Mm -hmm. me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was clothing, when I was naked, you clothed me. How do you respond to that? First, I would say, well, on behalf of all the churches who haven't done that, let me apologize. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, People think that the churches have been called to take families to raise. Um, Can you pay my light bill? Can you pay my rent? Can you do this? Can you do that? I've had families come in here, each one of them having cell phones, um, and and they talk about they can't pay their bills. They've got expanded cable, uh, things I can't afford. Yeah. And they and what they do is they go from place, but that's not caring for the hungry. Right. Right. That's that's uh, helping people be secure on the gravy train. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say, let me apologize to you uh, if you haven't seen churches do that because the, it's biblical mandate is we should do that. Secondly, um, it, it's to the least of these. It's, yeah. That's not a derogatory comment, but those who, I mean, if you're walking around naked, yeah. um, there's this idea that maybe you don't know that you're naked or, yeah. or that's the only, you, you have been reduced to that particular level. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't say that I should take you into my house and give you the finest of my clothes yeah. and to make sure that you are, I'm, I'm simply to clothe you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're hungry, I'm simply to feed you, not to, not to be able to, you know, if, if, if I if I'm mandated to feed you, that means I have enough that I might be able to take a portion of what I have to give to you to make sure that you're hungry. Doesn't say that I move you into my house, I make you a dependent of mine and all. Uh, and, and the best way to feed somebody is to teach them how to feed themselves. Right. The best way to clothe somebody, you know, the, the story of Tabitha. Yeah. You know, it was it, there was a disciple in Joppa named Tabitha, and all of the widows were mourning and said, "Look at what she made for us yeah. to help keep us yeah. warm." She wasn't paying electric bills. She's giving them blankets and shawls and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and so there are many means of doing that. So there's a biblical mandate that Christians should be doing that. And Christians, for the most part, it became so overwhelming, they abdicated that because they thought maybe they were supposed to be paying electric bills and light bills and all the rest of that. And they did that thinking they were being Christians. And it was a drain. And they said, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so government, you're going to have to step in and help us. And so the government says, okay, well, then we'll do it. I've heard it. I've heard, and I, that's a common thought that we hear out there. And I think in some cases that's that is true. I've heard a different angle on this. Okay, so just ahead, yeah. recently, yeah. I read a book, Ron, that talks about why the church pulled away from caring more at a deeper level for those in community. Okay. It goes back to the early 1900s when there was the fundamentalist debates. Mm-hmm. You had the mainline churches that were breaking away from uh, scriptural authority and from the fundamentals of the faith, and you had the conservative churches that held to the fundamentals and fought for the faith, and the mainline churches, as they walked away from the faith, they focused on the social gospel, if you will, right? And they uh, uh, began to they continued to care for the poor, you know, food banks and clothing closets and these kind of things. And the fundamentalist churches viewed that uh, with a weary eye, like the, uh-huh. I'm not sure, man. These guys are liberals over here, and I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to do the same things they're doing. Right. And that was the first break. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then eventually, the government did get involved, and I think we're at a place right now where, after FDR, who's president in the 30s and 40s, and then Lyndon B. Johnson, 
who was president in the 60s with his great society, you do see these massive government programs that provide various, you know, food commodities. They've got housing programs. We've got all kinds of programs to help the poor. Uh, it's been a, a huge expenditures, by the way. Sure. And yet the same percentage wise, we still have the same percentage of those lived in, living in poverty today as we do uh, as we did back in the 1960s. Can I tell you a little transformation mm-hmm. our, our, our church went through? For years, way before I was a pastor, I've been pastoring here for 16 and a half years mm-hmm. now, way before me. I was a member here 20-something years ago. They were doing this. Um, a, uh, we, we distribute Christmas baskets to mm-hmm. folks during the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been times where we took every single, child, every single family that registered through yeah. the Salvation Army in three counties. And so I'm just bragging about my church right now. We provide Christmas baskets, food baskets, Unprepared food products, turkeys, ham, everything to have a have a great big Christmas meal, right? And and it got to the point where we started out delivering these to homes, and some people would come back and they're like, you know, I I delivered it to a home that had better cars than I did, mm. and presents just packed underneath the tree and all. Wow. And I would I would think, well, they realized they could spend their money on something else because we would be yeah. bringing them a Christmas yeah. meal, and then <clears throat> and then they said, well, well, let's continue to do that, but let's make them come to the church. And it got to be to the point where we were giving them the food. People would pull up in the parking lot, hand a letter to us. We'd call out a number. Somebody pick up a box, take it to the car. Merry Christmas. They shut the trunk and they drive off. Yeah. All we were giving them was food. Mm-hmm. Our mandate as a church is to certainly feed the hungry. Yeah. But Jesus says, if I feed you, if I give you this water, you'll yeah. never thirst again. Yeah. Yeah. Man does not survive on bread alone. Right. But, you know. So we were giving them physical food, but we realized we had become a little hardened. That's not the right word, but but we were so caught up in meeting their physical needs, we forgot. And so what we started to do is to really focus on, hey, this is a means to get them here so that us, we can share the gospel with them. Right. Last year when we did this, we had more volunteers from within our church than we've ever had. That's great. Because folks were on board with, hey, <laughs> we're giving them a meal, but through that we're earning the right to be able to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is going to transform. That meal runs out. Yeah. But Jesus Christ so, won't. So we've seen what you're sharing with me at Henderson Memorial is that you have ministries to the poor, those who are Absolutely. needy. Uh, getting back to our first question, what about those who would say the government should take care of the poor? Well, the mandate in Scripture, when Jesus says, when you, you know, you gave me something to drink, when, when I was thirsty, you fed me when I was hungry, he's speaking to individuals. Yes. He's speaking to individuals. Yes. So this is a mandate to each of, each us, of us to care yes. for those around us. There's an aspect here that will always be missing so long as there's a government program, and it is the aspect of human-to-human relationship. It's this loving your neighbor as yourself. It's checking on your neighbor or those in your neighborhood or those in your community who need help. It's participating in a church like yours that might be doing this. But it's not an impersonal governmental force using somebody else's resources just to put food in their mouth. Right. Because we can touch somebody in a much deeper way. Well, and some people might say, "Isn't the church redistributing the wealth?" Because as a church, you, we, as a Southern Baptist church, function through our tithes and offerings of the members. So, aren't we asking the members to contribute and and distributing the wealth voluntarily? Absolutely, voluntarily. So people can give out of their own goodness and their hearts. And then the church decides how that money is going to be distributed. I don't. The 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 leadership (laughs) doesn't. The church decides. I was, a, I was in Las Vegas one year for a National Association of Broadcasters, and I could see on your face you wanted to move along. Yeah, no. Just real quickly, they had announced that Bill Gates was the richest man in the world. Yeah. And the cab driver, he he come over here from Africa. Uh, we were having a lively conversation. He said, how much money does one man need? He ought to be required by law to take some of that money. 
and give it to people and give it to programs and all the rest of that. And I just simply said, how much should be required of you? Yeah. And he said, well, I don't have the same money as Bill Gates. And I said to some people, and we drove by a guy who was sitting on the corner, had two dogs and they had yeah. a blanket and he had a cup out in front of it. Yeah. I said to that guy, you're Bill Gates. Yeah. So how wow. much of your money should you be required to give to him? You know, I hear that question come up. How much is enough? Or can we, should we cap it at a billion dollars or two billion, whatever? Uh, you know, the problem with that, Ron, and you're a pastor and I'm a follower of Jesus, there's a real big problem and yeah. that's violating one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Thou shalt not covet. Yeah. It's not my business how much somebody else has. That's between that person and God. Now, so long as they didn't steal and cheat right. to get it and was ripping off people, but really that's between him and God. Right. Uh, I need to be a good steward of what God has given me. Absolutely. I need to, to I'm going to be held accountable for the resources that God has given me, but I don't need to spend my time coveting. I don't need to spend my time with class warfare. And here I want to get back to this conversation of yeah. socialism. Socialism is dependent on envy and covetousness and whipping up the classes one against the other. Yeah. And here we are living in the greatest, freest nation on the face of the earth. Ron, people came here and they still come here from every country across the globe. And it's because they have something called freedom, freedom, because they have opportunity, because they the can American use their dream. gifts, yeah. gifts and talents to create whatever God has put before them to, to save, to create wealth to provide for their families. And this is apart from the government. This is not the government that has made America great. Right, right. What has made America great is that it has acknowledged human rights and human dignity, and it has pulled back in its involvement with our individual lives. It is, it is focused on maintaining our freedom and has pulled back on government involvement that would encroach on that freedom. Absolutely. And, and this is the big concern I have for over socialism and this new attraction that seems like a lot of young people are attracted well, because to this you, idea. Because what the young people are hearing is you don't have to toil like your mom and dad did, your grandma and grandpa did. Everything that you need is going to be given to you. Yeah. And we've raised a society. Every generation wants it better for their kids. Yeah. And so at some point, generations have to take responsibility for who they've created yeah you know uh when we were 13 we got a bicycle yeah nowadays 13 year olds get an ipad yeah you know yeah and, wow and, well, and, and good for yeah. them yeah. but at what point then i mean then i mean there's graduation pictures gowns rings for sixth graders yeah and then in eighth grade and then in senior they high do school. that yeah, they're doing graduation for absolutely and we had a and so there's high school was a big and all the rest of it right so <laughs> so at every level you get to celebrate and you get a gift and you get a trophy and you get this and you get that so we're creating this generation of people who have this expectation of i deserve this i i showed up for a couple of games i i, I wasn't as good as that guy and i got a trophy just as big as he did yeah so yeah. why shouldn't i be <laughs> able to get a scholarship to baseball just like he did so in theory, socialism sounds good. You know, if you have a need, the government's going to provide. Well, until if, you if, listen to the theory. If, <laughs> hey, if you're in student loan debt, by the yes. way, accumulated student loan debt, $1.6 yeah. trillion right. in this nation. Right. Average student loan debt per person is about 30000 a year. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they want the government to forgive it. Uh, if you need an education, if you vote for Bernie Sanders, he's going to provide free education, every, no, you'll free health care. Yeah, you'll provide. Yeah, you and me. Yes. And it's the government getting into our back pockets yes. to provide for everybody else. It sounds good in theory, but as I mentioned early in the program, it does not take into account human nature. Right. And we come from the perspective that we are sinful and fallen human beings. Right. Uh, if we don't uh, have incentive to work, why work? If we know that the government's going to take 60% of our income, well, we're going to probably stop at a certain point. Sure. 
Uh, if the government's going to take, you know, a certain amount of our savings, why save? Uh, it does not consider our fallen nature or the the um, constraints on on us. Well, the socialism also says that we're going to make all the classes level. We're going to yeah. do away with the, but actually, it creates just two classes: yeah. government, yeah, who rules over you, yeah. yeah, and everybody else. So the government becomes the high class, and they say we need these extra benefits because we're the ones who are taking care of all the people. They make themselves yeah. the the very thing that they they vilify. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of socialism that's really troubling is it does not take into account the inefficiency of government. <laughs> the government does yeah. not function the same way a private business does. No. There is not the incentive to create profit. There is not the motivation to work overtime. Have you ever seen a government worker working overtime? And not this is not a criticism. Right, right. No. It's an observation. <laughs> but government does not operate according to the same principles that a business does. Now, here, think of these examples. Think of Federal Express or UPS versus the post office. Think of having a personal IRA and a personal financial advisor versus Social Security. Think of this, the Mayo Clinic or Vanderbilt, not far from us, Mm -hmm. or the VA. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think of the contrast there of inefficiencies, effectiveness, service. It is the private sector that will outperform, outdo the government sector anytime. Every time. And I think that the cherry on the top of that is Motor Vehicle Department. Anybody oh, no, who's gone to, to get a up. license, <laughs> a pl- you know, yeah. and no slight against those folks at all because okay. they're, they're, they're confined within the system. But, but we realize everybody who's waiting long lines at a government institution, they're always understaffed. They're yeah. always this. And so the, the whole idea of the government saying will be, will be the, I mean, the greatest workforce in the world works for the government. Um, not not free enterprise. I mean, government employs more people than anybody else. So they're going to take on these new things. They're going to say, not only are we going to provide you all these things, but we're going to be big brother. We'll actually employ you. We'll decide what your salary potential is going to be. Then we'll decide how much we're going to take from that. Now, you're not going to decide what our salary potential is because you don't have enough sense to know that. But, but, But we'll decide what your salary potential is, and we'll decide how much we take from that. And so we'll be shopping from the government store. Everybody will. And that didn't work. And it won't work today. No, that's right. And I, you know, I love that we can have this conversation. I love this country that uh, where we have the freedom to develop our gifts and talents, to create wealth, and then to distribute it as we see fit. Yes. Not to give it to the government, but Ron, you can be a blessing to people here Absolutely. in the Hopkinsville area. I can be a blessing to people in my yes. area. But we do this uh, distribution as God calls us to do right. it instead of the government making those decisions for Absolutely. us. I would argue that the free market system of uh, economics is more biblical than any other system that's out there. Are there greedy people? Yes, because they're sinful people. Are there people who, um, who are multimillionaires, billionaires, and underpay their workers? Yes, yeah. because yeah. they're sinful people. Um, will socialism work? No. Why? Because they're sinful people. That's right. Um, and That's so, right. so we, if we just get back to the heart of the scripture, everybody, again, the, all ships rise with the tide. Yeah. No, and so as, as the steamliner rise, so does the rowboat and, and everybody moves. If you drain the pool, everybody's stuck on the bottom yeah. and everybody will can be content to be there. And, and this isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. This is yeah. a socialist yeah. versus a free uh, trade, free, free, yeah, free, free, free market, free market society. Yeah. So it's not Republican or Democrat. It just happened that Democratic guy is saying That's this right. is what he believes in. So. That's right. No, good word. Ron, good to have you in the program. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you. God bless you listeners.